Please turn with me in your Bibles to the epistle to the Ephesians, chapter 4. This morning we'll be looking at verses 7 through 16. Now we are considering this morning God's word to us in Paul's letter to the Ephesians after three chapters of telling us what God has done for us in Christ. Now we are being taught what we ought to do in response. Paul has told us how God has brought us to life spiritually. Now he teaches us how to live. We used to walk in the ways of the world. Now God wants us to learn how to walk in love. God has brought us from far away to unity with one another, and now he's teaching us how to live in unity. He's taking us from the ways of sin, and now he's teaching us how to live in purity. Now, in last, last week, verses 1 through 6, God was calling us to preserve the unity of the Spirit that he had created in the bond of peace. For there is one body, one Spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Father of all, who is over all and in all and through all. Therefore, we are to be one. But on the other hand, we must remember that although we are one, we are all not the same. We are still talking about unity, but Paul in this passage will talk about variety within that unity, a diversity of gifts. In fact, God has designed our diversity, your diversity, to be one of the very ways in which unity is preserved. That's what our passage is about this morning. How the church, in all its diversity, is to preserve unity and progress to maturity. So we have charity, unity, diversity, maturity. That's what we're talking about in the first half of chapter 4. So we will speak, first of all, the source of these gifts, where they came from, the gifts that God has given to the church. Secondly, the nature of these gifts, what types of gifts God has given to the church. And thirdly, the purpose of gifts, why God has given them. Let us pray, and I will read our passage. Lord, we, we pray that you would give us clarity as we Seek to understand your word, to listen to it, be ruled by it, to be changed by it. Help us to so listen and digest it, mark it inwardly that we might leave and never be exactly the same as when we came in this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would make us the way you want us to be and use this passage to help grow us in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 4, verse 7. But, each, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? 
He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen. This is God's word. Uh, Earlier in chapter 3, Paul wrote, spoke of the, the manifold wisdom of God that is made known through the church. And we can open our eyes and see in God's creation his wisdom every place we look. From the mountains to the sea, from great galaxies to tiny cells and atoms, in all kinds of plants and animals, from the orderliness of mathematics to the beauty of the variety of colors and tastes and sounds and smells, God's wisdom is on display all around us. Some of that wisdom is seen in how everything fits together, the great unity that humanity has and the great unity in the world. But much of that wisdom is also on display in the diversity of creation. We go to the zoo and we marvel at all the different kinds of animals. We marvel at how great our God is who designed it all, who just thought it all up from nothing. And yet underneath all that diversity there is a unity that is beautiful. You know, music that we've enjoyed singing, that God enjoys hearing. It wouldn't be possible if there was only one note. It would not be beautiful if the notes were not put together in particular ways. It's the unity of that diversity and the diversity of unity that's so beautiful. The same is true in flavors and smells and colors Art is beautiful when that great diversity of colors comes together in one harmonious whole. That's actually what the word manifold means, this multicolored wisdom of God, manifold wisdom. But God's wisdom is seen more than in creation in the church. That's where God's wisdom is on display that Paul is talking about here, in the unity and the diversity of God's new creation, the church. We see this in the way that we are one, not just here in this room, but all over the world, how we've been united with the church in heaven, all the saints before us who are now perfect, 
and enjoying perfect worship of God, but also in the diversity that we have, the gifts. We reflect the unity and diversity of God in a way that not even the angels do. I'm stepping away from my passage for just a moment, but humanity has a unity, a structure to it. It's not just a blob. Like I explained this to my children, like a blob of just Play-Doh. The church is not like just a blob, and as you add more, you just add more to it. God has a design for his church, a design for humanity. And the, the metaphor that he uses in our passage is that of a body. Christ is the head of the body. Humanity has the same diversity and unity. In Adam, at one point, all of humanity was wrapped up in Adam. And when he sinned, we all fell. There's this unity of structure. It wasn't the same with the angels. So that when some angels fell, not all the angels fell. But there is a unity and a diversity in humanity that, that images the trinity better than anything else in creation. There's only one thing like it, and it's the church. The church has also got this structure, this design that God has built like a body. But now it's not the first Adam who is the head. It is the last Adam, Jesus Christ, the new humanity that is being put together. And God has given us not just this amorphous blob without design, and just when people are randomly added, he just adds to this big pile of Play-Doh. He has got a specific design for the whole church. And it's in this great diversity where the church's unity is really found, when we need each other and our gifts. But in this diversity, there is also the temptation to be jealous of others, we're not content with the gifts that God has given us. But we see in this passage that our diversity of gifts should not lead us to jealousy or conflict, for all the gifts have the same source. They all come from the same place, and they are all given for the same purpose. They all have the same ends. First, the source of our gifts Now, immediately after this great statement about the unity of the church, Paul writes the word, but. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Here we see the great diversity within the unity. We are one, but grace was given to each one of us. And yet, We are different. We're one, but no one is forgotten. No one is left behind. No one is unimportant. For God has given gifts to every believer. Paul says, to each one of us, grace was given. If you are a believer, if you are in Christ, you have been given a gift. You have been given grace. The church needs you. And you need the church. No one has all the gifts. No one's a complete church 
in and of himself, the only one who has all the, great, all the gifts in their fullest measure is the Lord Jesus, who doesn't need us at all, actually. But in his great pleasure, he has, he has joined us together with him. And he's, we're being renewed into his image. He's dispersing gifts by the Spirit that he's given to each of you so that the deacons reflect Christ's service in a particular way, the elders in another way, those who practice hospitality in another way, and so on. And so God disperses these gifts throughout his church like, a bot, like body parts that are all intended to work together to make a harmonious whole. Please don't ever think that you can just come into church, sit in the back, or we're in the front, not, there's nobody here, so you're all in the back, basically, and just not really participate, and you can leave, and the church will be okay. We need everyone mature. We need everyone working together. It's not a one-man show. Uh, the church is, has got this beautiful design uh, to work together, and we need each other. So we've, we've all been given gifts and measure just as Christ knew what was best for the church. And we're all, we're different. If everyone were a finger, you know, where would the arm be? Uh, if everyone were an ear, where would the seeing be? So God in his great wisdom knew what was best for the church and he measured out the gifts each of us would have to serve one another. So another thing to remember about your gifts is that they are not called skills or talents or abilities. Because what Paul is emphasizing here is that you don't produce it. They are not from you. You are not the source of the gifts. The source of the gifts is Christ. And that's why they're called gifts. And Paul also calls it here grace. To each of us, grace was given. So there's certainly no room for boasting. No room for jealousy either because these gifts were given to you for each other. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul writes, but to each one was given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So your gifts are given with this condition that they would be used for the church. This means that the gifts that you have are not to be, not to be like trophies that you put on your bureau. They're not on display. They are not put away in a safe. They are given to you not for your sake individually, but for the church. Sometimes we give children gifts. So say for Mother's Day, I might, you might give your children a gift to say, give this to your mother. We give our children's gift for someone else. And God gives each of you a gift, like a Christmas gift. And as you look at that Christmas gift, it doesn't have your name on it. It says, to the church. And so we are not to be jealous of one another. If you see someone with gifts, well, be happy. Those gifts are for you, actually. It's like some of you have, I, some of you have boats. I don't want a boat. I want to use your boat. <laughs> so I'm not jealous if you have a boat. So if you see somebody who has gifts, 
God gave them to, to them to give you. It's not really for them. We are to serve one another. They're all yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, all are yours. And you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. So we belong to each other. We share and partake of one another's gifts. The gifts are for the common good. Now in verses 8 to 10, Paul speaks of Christ giving these gifts to the church. And he quotes Psalm 68, which is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It speaks of Jesus like a conquering warrior, a victorious general who comes back to the city and there's celebration and he shares the spoils of the battle. He gives gifts to men. And it talks about how he ascended on high. So probably speaking of how Jesus enters up into heaven in the ascension for us, amazingly that he might fill all things. And he showers the church with gifts. You know how he went up And then at Pentecost, Acts 2.33, Peter explains in one verse, everything that happened, Christ, after he went up into heaven, received the Spirit, and poured the Spirit forth now, what you see and hear. That's what happened. Uh, But how could Christ ascend? Because he starts off higher than everything. So if it says that he ascends, it must mean that he first descends into the lower parts of of the earth. So Paul speaks of how Jesus humbled himself in his birth, in his life, and his death on a cross. And then he rose victorious, and God raised us up with him. And because he humbled himself, God exalts him above every name that is to be named. So Jesus Christ triumphed on the cross and in his resurrection and ascension over his enemies. And in a completely gracious way, he shares with us the, the reward of his victory. And we see, this, we see this at Pentecost, but we see this continuing in the church today. Christ won the victory, ascends to heaven, receives the Holy Spirit for us in a new way, pours out the manifestation of the Spirit on the church Paul also is emphasizing in quoting this psalm, Christ's triumph over the evil powers. That is not my focus this morning, but I want to say it is a theme in Ephesians. That God is not, he doesn't just have the church in mind. He also has his victory over his enemies in mind, which he also accomplishes through the church And another theme that I'm not really going to get to because it's beyond me is when it says that he fills all things, that he ascended, that he might fill all things. And it comes at the end of this sentence, which shows that this is the purpose of it. He is ascending that he might fill everything. At one time, he filled the tabernacle with glory. He filled the temple with glory. He's filling the church And in some way, I don't understand, and I don't think if I studied it for 100 years, I'd be able to explain it to you very well. He's going to fill everything with glory. And this is this great, majestic end that Paul is pointing out in the ascension. It is a theme in Ephesians, 
more than in any other letter in the New Testament. But I just can't say very much about it because it's beyond me. But isn't it wonderful just to meditate on it? God has a wonderful plan to fill all things with his glory. But that plan has a particular shape and how it's taking place now is through the church, which is incredible that God would use us in this way. So we are to remember that God has this plan. He's using us in this plan. He's using our diversity of gifts to show this unity in the world but we must be reminded not to boast in your gifts as, you, as if you created it or earned it in some way. It was Jesus Christ who won the victory on the cross. Your gifts are wonderful. You're needed. That's true. But the gifts were not from you. They are not even for you in particular. They are from Christ. They are for the whole church. Now, it's interesting that when we think of gifts, we often think of gifts like as things like prophecy or tongues or hospitality or giving. But here in verse 11, Paul gets back to what he was saying about giving, that God gave gifts. But we see, surprisingly, that the gifts are people. God didn't simply give the gift of prophecy. He gave prophets. He didn't just give the gift of teaching. He gave teachers. In some ways, it's parallel to uh, Numbers 18, where God takes the Levites for himself, and then he gives them back to Israel to serve, Numbers 18.6. So the gifts, you see, go along with the calling, with the office. I won't spend much time explaining each of these, but if you look at this list, you'll notice that there's many gifts not mentioned. There's about five different places where gifts are listed out in Scripture, and none of those lists are exactly the same. Um, But we we think that Paul has got lots more gifts in mind, maybe that that are even listed. Paul is just numbering a few uh, to illustrate this. But in these, in these gifts that he listed, you'll notice that they're all teaching offices. He doesn't mention the offices of serving here. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So Paul is talking about their role in relationship to the rest of the church. The apostles were the 12 that Jesus sent out into the world after Pentecost. Paul was later added to that number. You remember that Paul recognized that his gifts were graciously given, not earned, and that they were given for us. He calls himself Christ's prisoner for the sake of you Gentiles. The prophets are most likely not the prophets of the Old Testament, although God gave them two. He's probably thinking of the New Testament prophets here because he mentions them after the apostles. They're most likely prophets like Agabus, uh, New Testament prophets. Back in Ephesians 2.20, Paul said that the church was built on the foundation of the apostles first and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. These are the men who wrote the New Testament. The church is built on that teaching, 
since they are the foundation and not the building, the work is temporary. If you're always still building the foundation, you can never get beyond that point. But the foundation gives you the shape of the building. So their work is temporary and is now complete. Evangelists are only mentioned three times in the New Testament. Here, also, Philip and Acts is called an evangelist, and Timothy was called to do the work of an evangelist. We don't know much about that office. It may have also been temporary. It may be referring to missionaries. Um, But there's also pastors and teachers, and they continue their work in the church today, as Paul in Scripture instructed the church to have elders. This is what... uh, elders do. They shepherd the flock. If you're reading in the English Standard Version, it'll say he gives shepherds and teachers. Other versions might say pastors and teachers. It's the same thing. Pastors and teachers don't receive revelation like apostles and prophets. They better not be writing any more scripture, um, but they take and they preach the word that God has already given And that is the message that they have. And all of these offices, you'll notice, are gifts to the church. And all the ones that Paul mentions here are connected with the proclamation of God's word. The third thing we see here, verses 12 through 16, is the purpose for which Christ gave these gifts to the church. And in it, we see that all of these gifts, all of these offices, are given for the same purpose. Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. These men were given so that the whole church could be built up. And so throughout the rest of this passage, Paul uses this metaphor of a body to describe the church. The church doesn't have a business model. The pastor is not a CEO. The pastor, where the pastor is the one doing everything and everyone is under him. I had someone recently, I forgot who it was, say, oh, so you're, you're now in charge of the church? And I said, no, I'm a servant of the church. I'm not just saying that. God has, has called us all to serve the church. And if it's just the pastor doing everything, then the church is incredibly weak. I don't have some of the gifts that you have. And you cannot rely on me or all the elders or all the elders and all the deacons to do everything in the church. We are called, rather, to equip the church for the work of the ministry. And this is really difficult to translate to. If you're, if you're reading the King James Version, it'll look like there's three things that the, the apostles and prophets and shepherds and teachers are called to do. Equip the saints to do the work of the ministry and to build up the body of Christ. Others will have it so it looks like the apostles' role and the pastor's role is to equip the saints and the saints do the work of the ministry and build up the body of Christ. However you read it, it amounts to pretty much the same thing. Because in the end, you see verse 16, every part is working. 
and every part has to work properly for the church to be built up. So it's every, like they say, they call every member ministry. That doesn't mean every member is a pastor, but every member is called to serve one another. And that's certainly implied here or explicit. We are all given gifts, all to serve one another. So the church needs to be built up. It's not, uh, and it's done by everyone in the church, not just the ministers only. There's no bus driver and no passengers. Everybody uh, is inactive in a body. That's the metaphor that's used, a body. You see it in verse 16, if we are to be mature, if we're going to be healthy, if we're going to be unified, it means every body part has to work properly in its place. And that begins with God's word. That is what the apostles, the prophets, the, all these evangelists, pastors, and teachers, that's what they give to the church. God, by his word, builds us up and, and, and causes us, that word taking effect in our lives causes us to be healthy and to grow. The word is spoken of in 1 Peter as this pure milk of the word. Paul says in Acts 17, I commend to you the word of God, which is able to build you up, right? So it's all about God's grace given to us through his word. So in verses 13 and 14, we see three effects that the ministry of the word should have on the church. First, it should lead to greater unity. It says, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So secondly, it should cause us to grow in our knowledge of God. So the ministry of the word should teach us the faith. It should cause us to be united together and all confessing the same thing, uh, confessing the same beliefs, uh, having that same faith, but also knowing the Lord Jesus, knowing the Son of God. So that result is a result of being united in the faith as well. The church is not here simply to give you good advice on how to live this week. That advice is great, uh, but um, you can get that from, some, from Twitter or something. What the Word of God is called to do is to help you grow in, the, in knowing Jesus Christ cause you to grow in the knowledge of the Son of God. It's, the church is also wonderful for, for fellowship. That's not why it's here only. It's not just a place to give you fellowship. You know, when God's word is preached, the effect is supposed to be that we all grow together in unity of purpose, unity of faith, unity of hope, a unity with one another and of our knowledge and love of the Son of God. And it's precisely in knowing Jesus Christ that we grow in our unity because he is the head. But thirdly, this growing unity and growing knowledge of the Son of God leads to growth of maturity. Verse 13, until we all attain to, it says in the ESV here, to mature manhood. It might say at the bottom of your Bible, I think better, to a mature man. Singular. So he goes back and forth between singular and plural. After this, he'll call us children, plural. But the goal is that we become a mature man, 
Jesus Christ being the head of this body. To the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's the goal. He is conforming you, brothers and sisters, to Christ. God has a plan for your life. It is to take who you are and to mold you into Christ's image. The image of him so that you are a child of God. That he becomes the firstborn among many brothers. And that we have the joy that comes from living the best way possible, living like Christ. So it says, as a result, we may no longer be children. Now, I love children. I love babies. I have one, and I tell her not to grow up too fast. Because, and I kind of wish that they, she would just stay the way she is right now. But I also know that if she doesn't gain weight I'll start to get worried because babies aren't meant to stay babies forever. We are meant to grow to maturity, to that full potential. And so we are, we are like that in some ways too. We are not to remain babies. We are called to grow up to maturity that we might no longer be children who are tossed to and fro by every wave of teaching and say, well, that sounds good, that teaching sounds good, but that one sounds good too. But as we grow, we understand that one is correct, this one is not correct, and here's why. So we grow in our knowledge of God. So children are wonderful. There's nothing cuter than a baby. We're not meant to be babies forever. We're meant to grow up. So that growth is in unity, in faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and in stability, stability of our faith. We are often like a boat out on the stormy sea, and every new doctrine that comes along, every popular book that comes out, it puts us in danger of being shaken. The teachers are given to you to help ground you, root you in the faith that you might not be shaken by false teachers who are indeed there, ready to prey on the church. And this is one of Satan's devices to try to tear the church apart. All these false views. There is unity in orthodoxy. And there is lots and lots of shattered diversity in false teaching. There's millions of types of false teaching. There's only one type of the truth. And Paul wants us to grow in that knowledge. And Satan holds the whole world under his sway. He would love to cause you to stumble. And you have no defense against him unless you are clinging to the Son of God. That is why you need to learn of Christ and to grow in him. Why you together, we together, need to grow in the knowledge of God. It's also interesting that Paul doesn't say yeah, we need to grow into mature people, but to a mature man. One person united together, a mature church. We are Christ's body. He provides the life of the church, the direction for the church, all the gifts of the church. He directs the whole body. And by the Spirit, He causes us to grow in 
this knowledge and maturity until we all attain the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. It doesn't mean East Bridge alone. It doesn't mean the PCA alone. It doesn't mean the church in the 21st century alone. The church will not be complete until every last believer is mature perfectly. And then we will be astounded at what God has designed, how it all fits together. And, we'll, and the world will be blown away by what God has done. He does have a design for what he's doing. And brothers and sisters, this is a high calling. It's wonderful news about where God is leading us. It's wonderful that he's not done with you yet, that the work of being a Christian didn't end when you prayed the prayer and were forgiven. God has a wonderful plan for the whole church. We will be perfect. And I love the way God has done this, distributing gifts to us in such, such a way that we need each other and brings us together in love and unity. So brothers and sisters, let us not tear one another down. Let us not be envious of one another or ambitious to raise ourselves above each other because you are not strong if you are stronger than everybody else around you. We will be stronger when everybody is strong. We are all part of the same body. Our gifts are for each other. We must grow. We must pray for each other. We are all one body. So let us devote ourselves to building up each other in love. Don't just stay in your study and read and blow everybody else away. But go to one another. Use your gifts to serve one another. Help them to develop their gifts too so that the church might be more united. I wonder if this is in your prayers as much as it is in Paul's emphasis in Ephesians. God has called all of us together, all of us to serve one another and to grow. He says in this letter later on, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. Let us also nourish and cherish and love the church. Let us put away everything that hinders us from serving one another, everything that hinders us from being united. Put off every grudge, put off every jealousy, and pray for one another that we might grow and be the way God designed us to be. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for selfish ways that we have considered our salvation even. But give us more of your vision for the church. Help us to not seek our own, but to seek the good of others, to consider others as more important than ourselves. And we pray, Lord, that you would increase our gifts and the gifts of everyone around us, Lord, for our good. We desire that you would make East Bridge Presbyterian Church 
everyone in this room to be built up and mature in the way that you design. And that others might be able to see our good works and glorify you in heaven. Lord, give us this vision and help us to be conformed to it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.